Hello, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Burn Your Draft, an exploration of the Reed College senior thesis process and experience. Today, our executive producer and Reed alumnus, Seth Paskin, interviews Molly Johnson about her thesis. Make sure to grab your tinfoil hats and get ready to hear from Molly on the sociological aspects of the UFO subculture. Welcome, Molly. Hi, Seth. Glad to be here. Good. Thanks for joining us. All right. So, Molly, why don't you tell us your full name, tell us where you're from, and what department you're in, and the name of your thesis. My name is Molly Johnson. I am originally from the California Bay Area, but did a brief stint in Glasgow, Scotland for two years before transferring to Reed as a sophomore and getting my degree in sociology. The title of my thesis is Whose Knowledge is Out There? Knowledge Construction in the UFO Subculture. Well, that's a teasing title. So tell us about the topic. Tell us about the thesis. My thesis was an exploration of the way that denial is socially organized by mainstream institutions around the UFO topics, specifically governmental authority, scientific authority, religious authority, and even mainstream psychology has a lot to say about the UFO topic and how that denial is responded to by the UFO subculture, which would be people and organizations that are interested seriously in the topic of UFOs, how they respond to that denial and still seek to create knowledge in a context that is very unfriendly to that knowledge ever being accepted as mainstream truth. So the denial aspect is the societal denial of the existence of UFOs, and the subculture is the subculture of people who believe that they exist, or maybe are interested in the topic and take it seriously. I get those two things, and you're interested in studying a variety of different aspects about the way the construction of knowledge around UFOs, but also the orientation of that subgroup towards the broader society that denies what they believe. Yes, exactly. My first reader suggested that I term that phenomenon the institutional versus subcultural call and response. So that can sort of be a shorthand for that wider concept going forward. Okay. Institutional call and response. I like that. Fascinating topic. I think you touched a little bit on why you chose it, but you want to share anything more about what drew you? I mean, you obviously had a passion for it, 150 pages worth of passion for it. So uh, are you part of that subculture? Were you raised in that subculture? Or is it just like you felt like you needed to address this gap in the fabric of our sociological studies? I definitely was not raised in the subculture. I've had sort of a problematic relationship to a lot of different orientations that the subculture takes. So a few years ago, I found out that I had a family connection to the Roswell incident of 1947. And Rather than just saying, I'm just going to not care, look into it at all. So instead of ignoring it, I decided to explore the possibility that maybe there could be something going on. And how I started to explore that was attending several local UFO meetings. And those ended up being my ethnographic sites for my thesis, or these meetings of local groups. And each of them had a very different orientation to how they were thinking about UFOs, how they were thinking about 
knowledge in general, how they were thinking about the rest of society. And that fascinated me. And I decided to make the topic the subject of my thesis. Wow, that's fascinating. You know, I keep coming across these little tidbits. I feel like people, when I do these interviews, people are like burying the lead. It's always like, oh, and by the way, I shot an alien once or something like that. Let's talk about the outcome. How would you summarize the conclusion of your paper? And was it what you expected when you got started? I guess the results and conclusion of my thesis were that there are several different approaches to knowledge production that orient themselves differently to mainstream institutions. So there are people who are really into trying to gain scientific legitimacy for the topic. There are people who are attempting to communicate um, in a spiritual way with ET beings. There are people who are using UFOs as a topic to challenge governmental authority and the lack of transparency for many Defense Department activities. And There are also people who believe that they have had legitimate experiences of abduction and are trying to overcome those experiences or process them in a way that isn't simply saying you have a delusion. So all of those spheres emerged over the course of my research and seeing how those interacted and how those mediated aims of different subcultural actors was really, really interesting. And I'd say that's the thing that I found that was surprising most is how those orientations to UFOs and to mainstream institutions interacted with each other. I found that the boundaries between certain types of knowledge that are accepted from mainstream institutional perspective, such as how we attempt to gain scientific knowledge and validate it versus how memory or communication mediate knowledge and truth. Those boundaries were a lot less clear in my research than I think that they are generally accepted as being in society. So that was really interesting. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not surprised that you came to that conclusion to discover that thing as we're just recently doing a run on social construction on my podcast right now. So we've been talking a lot about that very topic. Um, So did you have any obstacles or challenges unexpected that you had to overcome or anything you knew from the outset that you were going to have to fight through? And how did you deal with them? One issue that I found was how to separate myself as a sociologist versus myself as a person engaging in the subculture, especially with ethnographic fieldwork. I attended a conference in the summer of 2018 for this thesis that ended up being challenging in several different ways, partially because of the overlap between conspiracism and politics and how people were thinking about UFOs and trying to talk about that responsibly while still not feeling like I was taking a judgmental approach to my research participants was a challenge. But I think when doing ethnographic work, the relationship to your research collaborators is really important and a really hard ethical line to find. So not unique necessarily to your situation, your thesis, just the inherent danger in the ethnographic enterprise itself. Man, that's interesting. It kind of leads naturally, I think, into our last couple of questions, which is, what are the skills then that you sort of either developed or honed, improved or gained through the process of doing your thesis? And uh, how do you imagine they're going to assist you going forward? 
several things that I did find were really useful for me were building an interview skill repertoire. And that's something that I hadn't had to develop extensively in my work at Reed in the sociology department before. So I did seven long form interviews and all of them were around an hour and a half. And I had to transcribe and take down what was relevant. But the interview process itself, especially with the methodology I was using, which was that it's a reciprocal relationship and you're trying to not have that barrier between subject and researcher, but rather be two people constructing meaning together. That was really exciting for me. And I found that I really liked it and would like to maybe incorporate that into whatever career path I end up going into. Excellent. Yes, uh, I can speak from personal experience that interviewing is definitely a skill that you must acquire and hone. And I'm, I'm more in awe of really, really good interviewers now than I was when I started uh, a decade ago, for sure. It's, it's really hard work. I think we talked about your skills. So just generally speaking, thinking about the future, how are you imagining, you know, more than just pointing you into an area of interest in interviewing, that your experience of doing a thesis, uh, a senior thesis at Reed is going to inform your life after Reed? I definitely think that I want to go to grad school. I think that was one of the biggest takeaways was that as the thesis process was ending, I kept on thinking, this can't be my last foray into <laughs> into knowledge. <laughs> and that I do really like research. And it. I'm sure other seniors would say the same thing, that it feels like such a big accomplishment to have a self-directed research project, especially with a lot of moving parts. I don't know exactly what I'm going to go to grad school in. I'm still very interested in not just UFOs, but marginal or anomalous experience and the communities that people create around those. Turning that into either an academic or non-academic career, on the other hand, is another hurdle. But <laughs> I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. There's plenty of socially constructed, abnormal, and marginalized groups that you could use as a lover, that's for sure. It's a rich field of study. Well, Molly, I want to say thank you for your time and for coming on and sharing your experience with us. I know the Reed community and any non-Readies out there that are listening to this found you and this subject fascinating. And I can't wait until the project to get all the Reed senior theses online and out of the library comes to fruition so that we can all access your 150-page magnum opus. Yes. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Molly, for your time and for telling us about your thesis and the amount and kinds of work that went into it. If you want to learn more about Seth Paskin, check out our live performed podcast episode where I interview Seth on his podcast career, senior thesis, and so much more. Thank you for listening, and I hope you join us again to talk to more seniors and alumni about their thesis and better understand why you'd want to burn your draft. Burn Your Draft is a production of Reed College and the Center for Life Beyond Reed, created jointly by students, alumni, and staff. This episode was produced by me, Reed College student Frank Tangerlini. Our executive producer and host for this episode is Seth Paskin, class of 1990, with technical advising from staff member Joe Janiga. 
Nate Martin, staff member and alumnus, is our project manager. Music by student Jack Salvucci and podcast art by student Henry Gotchlik. This podcast was made possible by a gift from Seth Paskin.